Good morning, OneChurch.tv. Happy Easter. How you guys doing today? Man, I loved hearing you guys sing. I want to welcome everybody that's here in Theater 16. And if you're over hanging out in Theater 15 in the acoustic venue, we want to say thank you so much for being here. Let me hear you. All right, we're good. Also, if you're watching online on Facebook Live or if you're watching on One Church Online, we just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you chose to hang out with us this Easter, this very, very special day. We're starting a new series we're calling Your New Default. And uh, I'm really excited about this series because if you think about it, everything has a default setting, right? It just does. Like when you buy a new phone, right? You spend the better part of a day getting it exactly how you want it so that you can get your home screen the way you want it, so that you can get the pictures the way you want it, and to change that annoying text message or ding, 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 or whatever it is. You, you, you want to change that default setting. Did you know even coffee makers have default settings today? A little crazy. I mean, I remember when coffee pots were just like the stupid ones where you just hit the power button and it just started brewing, right? So, and it's those bun coffee makers. You gotta love those. Or do y'all know you could buy like a new car or maybe it's a new to you car, but when you put it in reverse, the doors lock. Why? Because it has its own default. Just as your phone has a default setting, and just as your coffee pot has a default setting, and your vehicle has a default setting, did you know that you have a default setting as well? That I have a default setting as well? Let me tell you, the best way you can show up is by your default resting face. How many of y'all, you may not know this, you have a default resting face. Let me show you mine. Yeah, that's a good one to laugh at, isn't it? I mean, that's a little bit of boredom mixed with maybe frustration and irritation, maybe a slight constipation, right? I mean, can you get over This guy actually got married and has friends. It's nuts. Let's take that off the screen. You see, all of us, we have a default resting face. You have a default setting, and so do I. You have a set of default responses that get triggered every day. And this is true whether or not you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether or not you're a church person or not a church person, or if you read the Bible or you don't, we all have a default setting, and that's what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. Now, let me just simply hit the pause button and say, some of you, the reason why you don't come to church regularly, the reason why you would say you don't call yourself a Christian, you know your default responses a little too well right? You know that you don't, maybe you have anger anger issues and you have a temper. Maybe you're hot-headed. You know that you have a tendency to kind of be a little cynic, a little bit, have some cynicism there. Maybe you just struggle doubting. Maybe you struggle believing. And some of you, this is your thought process. You know what? Church just isn't my thing because I'm not a church person. Others of you, one of your default settings is this. I just don't have that much faith. Or maybe some of you are like, I'm not that perfect. I can't be that perfect. And then lastly, I just can't be that good. And, I, and that's the reason why you don't go to church. Well, let me just go ahead and just put the cookies on the bottom shelf and say, the people who we would consider ourselves church people, we're not that good either. We're just maybe better at covering it up. But what you are surrounded yourself with is a bunch of hot messes in here. In fact, some of you, this is your first time, you're like, I'm going to trust these people. You need to just pull that purse a little bit closer to you, right? Just saying, because all of us, we are a little jacked up. We're a little, right? We're just a little crazy. And I just want to let you know that if you're that way, welcome home. 
right? This is a good, safe place for you. And if you're perfect, you need to find another church because we're going to screw you up, all right? By the way, you know how many, how many perfect people we have in here? Zero, exactly right. So we're going to be talking about our default setting, that you have a default response to people in your life. And if you're not careful, if you're not sure what they are, all you got to do is ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask your coworkers. They may lie to you a little bit. But I tell you, ask the people that you surround yourself with and that you love, and they will tell you the truth. And can I just be honest with you? Our default, my default response is not that good. It isn't. My default response is to be defensive. Maybe your default response is to shift the blame. Others of you, you choose suspicion or anger, or you're, maybe you're just judgmental. Let's just be honest. Most of our default responses, just they're not that good. So the question I really want to talk about specifically today, but really over the next four weeks is this question. Can you change your default? Can you change your default? And I've got some great news for you. The answer is yes. Yes, you can change your default. And that is what the Apostle Paul wrote to a letter to the Corinthian church 2,000 years ago when he wrote these words. Anyone, by the way, anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone means anyone, exactly right. Anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ has become, look at this, a new person. You have a new default. The old default, the old life is gone, a new life has begun. Paul is saying you can change your default setting. Your default setting of anger, you can change it. Your default setting of being judgmental, of being temperamental, of being hot-headed, of being, always being suspicious, maybe being jealous, you can change where you're at. The heart of the Christian faith, the heart of the resurrection, what you and I are celebrating today is God, Jesus died, he rose again, and he took on all of our sins, all of our mess, so that you and I can have a new default setting. But here's what most people, where we just, our frustration is, we are not getting new fast enough. We're not becoming new fast enough. The ancients called this becoming new a word that we don't use a lot today. It's called sanctification. And it's a big word, but it comes from the Latin word sanctus, which just means to be made holy. And let me tell you how it kind of comes across to you and I today. Like January 1st, right, the beginning of the new year, what do all of us do? Make New Year's resolutions, right? By the way, we're 115 days into the new year. How are those resolutions coming? Some of you are like, move along, preacher. These aren't the, res the resolutions you're looking for, right? I mean, some of our resolutions died day four into it, and we're at 115, right? You see, all of us, we have this innate desire in us to want to be better, want to become better, to want to become better people, better parents, get better with our money, get better with relationships, be better in our marriage, be a better spouse, we have that desire. We have that longing. And here's what I believe. I believe that our Heavenly Father actually places that longing in us. But, and here's where it's really cool, at a much deeper level, God wants to regenerate you, to make you a new creation, exactly what Paul talked about. And partially it's going to be work that you do. 
Partially, it's going to be work that God does. And as we're going to learn today, partially, it's going to be work that other people around you do with you. So for the rest of our time today, I want to look at how we could change our default setting by looking at a very familiar story found in in John chapter 11. Now, before we go there, when I start reading it, some of you go, oh, I've heard this preacher. What else you got? But here's what I want to challenge you today. If you know the story, pretend that you don't. Pretend you don't know the punchline. And I just want you to live within this tension of everybody in the story that's living in because in order to get your new default, in order to become a new creation, sometimes you have to let some things die. Sometimes you have to experience pain to get to your new, better default. So we're going to be in John chapter 11, and this is what, uh, this is what it says. A man named Lazarus was what? sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. So this Lazarus has two sisters, right? Mary and Martha, and they just live a few miles away from Jerusalem in Bethany. Bethany is just right over the Mount of Olives, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives next to Jerusalem. And Lazarus is sick, not like has a stuffy nose sick, not like, hey, it's allergy season, you know, I got a little bit of congestion. No. He is sick like I see you sick like hooked up to machine sick, verse 3. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus. Now, so Jesus is about a day and a half away, we're going to see. He's not far. It's about a day and a half walk. So they sent one to Jesus, and here's what they say. Telling him, Lord, the one you, what does it say? Love your dear friend is what? Very sick. Lazarus, get this, Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus. These sisters had a problem, and who did they take their problem to? Jesus. They did exactly what you and I are supposed to do. They did the right thing, right? Verse 4, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in what? Death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God, that's Jesus, will receive glory from this. So Jesus says, I got this, fam. I got this. Don't worry about it. Verse 5 is huge, though. And it's honestly, it's the tension that you and I are living in. Look at this. It says, so although Jesus did what? Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Why are you telling us that, John? Because the reason why John is telling us, although Jesus loved them, it's because you're not even going to believe what Jesus did next. In fact, based upon what happens next, you're not even going to think that Jesus actually loved Martha, Mary, and Jesus. So before I tell you what happens next, I just have to remind you, Jesus, he just didn't know them. He loved them. He was dear friends with them. You got to hang on to that because you're not going to believe when I read the rest of the verse. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's important that John puts that in, that in this verse because of what's about to happen. Because, get this, here's what I know what you and I do when times get bad. When times get bad, what do we do? We doubt God. We wonder if God is really real, or if he is, is he a kind and good God? Is he loving? You know, everybody doubts God 
when they get fired. Nobody doubts God when you get the raise, right? Nobody doubts God on their wedding day. They, get, they doubt God and they get angry at him when the divorce papers are served. It's easy to believe when times are good. But we're going to see times not so good coming up. And although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, look what it says. He stayed where he was for the next two days. Wait, 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 John. You just said he loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, but he's waiting? I mean, that's not what a loving person would do. Why did Jesus take his time getting there? So here's the question we're going to wrestle with. Did Jesus love Lazarus? The, the text says that yes, he did. So the question is, so why did Jesus delay? Why did Jesus delay? And then look at verse 13 and 14. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. After he's waited two days, and he's a day and a half away from them, he just says, Lazarus is dead. If I was his disciples, I would like, what do you mean he's dead? You just said it wasn't going to end in death. Why did you wait here? We weren't even doing anything. We could have been there. You could have healed him. I mean, you say you love him. Why did you wait? And then Jesus makes what is possibly the most insensitive statement in the entire Bible. Jesus says something so unbelievable, you really have to want, did he really love them? Look at this. He says, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. You're glad you weren't there? He, you knew he was going to die. Yeah, I knew he was going to die. And you didn't go on purpose? That's correct. And you're glad that you weren't there, and yet you say you love him? Okay, Jesus, I know you're really big on these parables and stories with illustrations and all this stuff, but this, this doesn't seem quite right. And then we see Jesus' point. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you will really, what does it say? Believe. Believe. Come, let us go see him. You see, what Jesus is after is belief. And look at that, that little phrase, so that. It's a henna clause in the Greek, and it means here's the point. Here's the purpose. Here's the reason why I delayed, so that you will really believe. Now, I'm going to let you in what's, what's really going on. You want to know why I stayed here two more days? You want to know why I sat back down? You want to know why we just waited for two days? It's because I know something that you don't know, that God is wanting to do something in you, not just do something for you. And for most of us, when we pray, we just want God to do something for us, right? God, heal this. God, make this happen. Lord, make the money be there. Make, and we ask the 444, but God is wanting to see belief happen within us. And that only happens many times in the darkness and in the pain. Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote. God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What God is shouting to you and shouting to me today and shouting to all those people 2,000 years ago, Jesus is saying, I want you to believe. 
I want God to do something in you. So let's go back to that question. Did Jesus love Lazarus? The text says yes. So why, why did he delay? And I think here's the answer, because they all knew that he could heal. They knew, they saw Jesus spit in the mud and take the mud and put it on a person's eyes and what, what once was blind, now he could see. They saw him cast demons out. They saw him, people who can never walk ever in their life. He actually created them, created muscles and sinews and they could actually walk and not only walk but dance. He saw them, the disciples saw him do so many amazing miracles and healings. Everybody knew he could heal. That's the reason why they sent word, hey, Jesus, the one you love is sick. They knew he could heal. But let me tell you what most of them did not know. They didn't know that he could take a dead person and bring them back to life. You see, Jesus had done it once before with Jairus' daughter. But that was with a small group of disciples. And even then, Jesus says, hey, keep this quiet. If this gets out, it's a game changer. But this is at the end of Jesus' life. And you know, Jesus is like, here we go, people. You, they, you don't know that I could bring somebody back from the dead. Many times if God doesn't answer your prayers, it may be because God wants you to know more of him. You see, they knew he could heal, but they just didn't know he could raise from the dead. And that may be, some of you may feel like you're in a holding pattern today. It feels like God is a day late and a dollar short. And it may be because God is getting ready to do something in you and through you that you never knew he could even do. He can blow your socks off. And yet, Lazarus is dead. In fact, we read in verse 17, he's been dead for four days. Let's read that. And when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been dead in his grave for how many days? Four days. And what's that? what comes after that word days? A period. Exactly right. Some of you are like, oh, nothing. No, but there's a period. What does a period do? Period means it's done. Thought over. You see, they knew that Lazarus was dead, period. That there was no hope, period. That it was finished, period. And the disciples knew there was a period. All the people, Lazarus's friends, Mary and Martha, there's a period. And it's just like, it's over. And what's so interesting Four days. The reason why he mentions the word four days is because in the Jewish mindset, they were superstitious. They believed that the spirit of a person would hover around the body for about three days. But after three days, the, the spirit's like, well, that body ain't coming back alive, so I'm gone, right? So it's, there is no hope. Four days has happened, and this whole idea, you see that it is, Jesus shows up to a town where there is no hope. There's crying, there's tears, maybe even some anger here. And maybe that's you this morning. There's crying, there's some tears, and some of you are angry because you showed up to church on Easter and this was your Hail Mary pass. Your marriage is broken and there's no hope. Your children are broken and they don't even like you anymore. There's no hope. Your business is getting ready to shut down there's no hope. But here's what I want you to learn today. It's what Mary and Martha are going to learn today. And it's our big idea. Your worst moments are when God 
can do his best work. Did y'all hear what I just said, church? Your worst moments are when God can do his best work. God takes no hope situations and he turns them upside down into hopeful situations. That God does his best work in cemeteries. Have you hung out at a cemetery recently? It's kind of somber, silent. God can take a cemetery and turn it into a party. And some of you, you need to know it's dead. Well, you know this, if it's dead, then God ain't done because your worst moments are when God can do his best work. Back to the story. Jesus shows up four days late. The disciples of Jesus come rolling into town. And can you imagine just the embarrassment the disciples felt? I mean, they're thinking, Jesus, your reputation is on the line here. When Jesus finally shows up four days late, Mary and Martha, the sisters, become a little passive-aggressive with him. They both say the exact same thing. Let's look at it. Verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, what's those next two words? If only. Have you ever said that to God? God, if only. If only you would have made this happen, she would still love me. If you only made this happen, my mom would still be alive. God, if, you, if only you would have, this would have happened, I would have kept my job. Lord, if only you had been here. You can almost hear the finger pointing. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Quick question. What comes after the word died here? Period. Done. Finay. But look at what Mary says. When Mary got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But but sorry, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house, and Martha also said to Jesus, Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Now, what's different here in this verse? What comes after the word died? A comma. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of really, not really blaming Jesus, but they are, but they aren't. And, Mar, and Mary, when he, she spoke it, there was a period. But when Martha says what she has to say with Jesus, there's a comma. And I, I think Martha had that comma faith that, there, that, you know, it's not done yet. It's not over. Yeah, he's been dead four days. In fact, let's keep on reading. It says, my brother would not have died, comma. But then it says this. But even now, even now, I know that God will give you, look at this, whatever you ask. I, I think psychotherapists would call Martha, she's having a break with reality. That her grief is speaking here. I mean, this comma and if, but even now, if you could, I mean, this, this, isn't, is this, this isn't just her grief talking. I believe this is her faith talking. Never put a period where God puts a comma. It's not over. If it ain't good, then God ain't done. Because God does his best work in your worst moments. 
Sometimes it looks like God is missing the mark because we're just too short-sighted to see what he's really aiming for. We thought God had missed the mark because he didn't heal. But what God was aiming for was what? Resurrection. And maybe that's what's, you're, you're so angry and frustrated at God, but maybe he's not wanting to hit your mark. You're wanting the healing and God's saying, I want to make something brand new. So Martha says, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Those two words embedded in her faith, even now, even though he's four days late, even though Lazarus has been in the grave for four days, even though your marriage seems like it's done, even though your business seems like it's going under, even though, even now, God, I know you can make this right. You see, if it ain't good, then God ain't done because your worst moments are when God does his best and mighty work. Then it leads us to verse 35. So Jesus shows up. He's four days late and he sees everybody crying. You know how Jesus responds? He doesn't give them a lecture. He doesn't finger point. Jesus wept. The Greek the Greek verb tense suggests that Jesus literally burst into tears, that he lost it. It reveals just how much Jesus loved Lazarus. Do you know that we have a God who cries over us and for us? John records Jesus' emotion, and that's so astounding to me. It's astounding because even though you're going to go through some of the most difficult times of your life, even though God could have, would have, and we think should have, when he chooses not to, it's not because he's distant. It's because he's right there in the middle of your pain, weeping, weeping with you. Jesus paused and wept. It's as if, it's, it's if he said, I'm not too big to understand. I'm not too distant and I'm not too almighty to understand. When you suffer and when you hurt, when you feel abandoned by God, it's as if God leans over to you and leans into you and says, Hello, I know, I love you, and I've got you. Next verse. The people who were standing by said, See how much he loved him? But some says, Ah, this one, he healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Quick question. How, how do you answer that question? By the way, what, what comes after dying? question mark. And honestly, when bad things happen to us, that's what we do, isn't it? We question. Why? Why? Why did you allow this to happen? Why, God? And that's what they're asking as well. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus was still deeply moved when he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Everybody, they have periods. It's done. It's finished. It's over. It's zero on the clock. There is no overtime. The piece is finished. The director has dropped the baton. It's done. But what we're going to see, it's not done. It's just a pause. It's just a comma. Jesus says, roll the stone aside. Okay, 
his disciples are going, okay, you, you got here four days too late. He's been in there. There is no hope. The spirit's already gone. And look at how, look at how Martha responds to this. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Now she's going to give Jesus a lesson. How many of y'all ever got, gave God a lesson? Right? In the middle of your pain, okay, I thank you for being honest. You're the only one. Right? We just want to, here's what you don't know, God. This is in the real world. This Bible stuff may work on Sundays, but this is real world stuff. And we want to give God a lesson. And that's what she tries to do. She says this, but Lord, he has been dead for how many days? Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, four days. And the smell will be pungent, terrible, right? It's going to be an awful smell. But look at how Jesus responds. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you that if you would, you would see God's glory if you only did what? Believe. You see, there it is. In our worst moments, God does our best work. So look what happens. So they rolled the stone aside. Let me show you a pic of a rolling stone tomb. I took this picture when I was in Israel a few like, years ago. And this, this it looks just like what it is. It's, a, it's like a cave. And they roll the stone kind of over and up. And let me take you inside the tomb because that's really interesting. You see these niches, almost like bunk beds. And what happens is an entire family would have this, this tomb, if you will. And when your aunt died, you, they would wrap her up in linen cloths, and they would put her body in there. And when your uncle died, they would wrap him up in the cloths, they would put him in there, and they would wait for about a year. And after, after a year, the, bod, the body would decompose, and they would come back a year later, roll the stone, and they would put the bones in something called an ossuary or a bone box. So that was the, how they buried people back then. It wasn't caskets. It was through rolled up linens. All right. In fact, here's kind of what it could, Lazarus could have looked like. We, we kind of see that as a horror thing with mummies. But think about, I mean, it even says this, some of you, Christmas, um, when it says uh, that Mary wrapped baby Jesus in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. What swaddling cloths are, are these death rags, these death linens. Because in that time, many times moms would die with childbirth and they would have to wrap her body with these linen cloths. So with that, imagine what Jesus is getting ready to say this, because grandmas, aunts, uncles are all in this same tomb. And Jesus says this, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Now imagine if he just says, come out, what's going to happen? everybody's coming. You're going to have a family get together. Where is a potato, German potato salad and fried chicken, right? Let's all huddle up. But he has to say, that's how much power Jesus has. He's Lazarus come out. And look at this. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Let me tell you, Jesus is about bringing the dead back to life. In your worst moments, God does his best work. Jesus does his best work in cemeteries. I love that. So Lazarus comes out of the tomb, and he doesn't come out strolling. He's wrapped up. 
in all of these linens. And every time they would do a, a, a they would wrap him up, they would p- pack spices and stuff that would make the body smell good. There's probably a hundred pounds worth of spices and he's wrapped up and he's coming out. The dead man is coming out. And what does Jesus say? Last verse, Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Unwrap him and let him go. Notice, he didn't tell Lazarus to unwrap himself. When you're all bound up, you're not unwrapping anything. He's telling Lazarus' friends. He's telling Mary. He's telling Martha. He's telling Lazarus' community, unwrap him and let him go. Why did Jesus tell Lazarus to take off the grave clothes? Because who are grave clothes for? Dead people. And is he dead anymore? No, sir. He is alive. He has been resurrected. And that right there is the crux of how you and I can change our old default. That nasty, stinky, smelly default of anger or jealousy or rage or whatever that looks like. You screaming at your children, moms, whatever that looks like. You can change your default, but you got to let some things die. And then you got to let some people around you help you take off the grave clothes. Because that's not your identity anymore. Yes, Jesus is about bringing the dead back to life. But let me tell you what role the church has to play. One church is about helping people take off their grave clothes because you can't do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. Some of you, you've got too much junk in your life. You've got too many addictions. You've got too much stuff. You need to allow God's people lovingly to come and unwrap it and let it go. Unwrap it and let it go. And that is the beauty of the Easter story. Yes, Jesus, he is buried and now he's resurrected. But you can be too. Lazarus was, and some of you, that's what you need today. You need to be dead and be raised back to life. Now, here's what I know some of you are thinking. You're like, okay, great preacher, great story, all this stuff. I go to church Easter and Christmas and I haven't seen anything happen in my life. And can I just simply challenge that a little bit? I don't think you're in a relationship. You don't relationship isn't just two days out of 365. Try that with your wife. That's what I'm that's why y'all laughing. It's not gonna go well, right? She will cut you. You see, that's not a relationship going twice. twice to church, that's religion. And let me tell you where religion, religion is about keeping people in bondage. The root word for religion is bondage. Did you know that? And for some of you, that's kind of what you think of Christianity. It's a lot of do's and don'ts. Don't do this and don't do this. And stop thinking about that. Oh, you're having fun. Stop thinking. Stop laughing. Let me tell you, nothing could be farther from the truth. God doesn't want you to have religion. He wants to have a relationship with you. And when that happens, your new default, that junk in your life, that old stuff, you will get a new default. You will get a new way of looking at things. So I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to invite you, for some of you, you need to allow some things to die today. For some of you, you just need to pray and you need to ask him into your heart. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. God, 
We love you. And I thank you so much, God, that we can look at this story and see ourselves, that we are Lazarus. We're the dead. We're the pungent, the stinky, the smelly. And that's exactly what our default is. Our default is anger. Our default is rage. Our default is jealousy. And it just stinks. But God, you showed up into this world so that we could die to that. And Lord, so that we could be around God's people to help us take off all of this junk in our life. So God, I ask you to come into my heart. Come into my life. Make me new change me. For it's in Jesus' name that we